from KBMR Nevada City and in partnership with Freed, welcome to Disability Rap. I'm Anna Acton with my co-host, Carl Sigmund. We spend today's show with Andy Mudrick, the Chief Deputy Director of the California Department of Rehabilitation. For over 30 years, Andy has been advocating for policies, programs, and legislation that benefits the lives of people with disabilities. From 2006 to 2017, Andy held several positions at Disability Rights California, including Deputy Director, Director of Legislation, and Managing Attorney. She joined the staff at the Department of Rehabilitation in 2018 as Chief Counsel and became the Chief Deputy Director of Department of Rehabilitation last year. She is also co-chair of SAC Legal, Sacramento's LGBT Bar Association. We invited Andy on Disability Rap to talk about her work. Advocating for people with disabilities. As well as her own life story. She is a person with a disability. Who has osteogenesis imperfecta? Commonly known as brittle bone disorder. Andy has been a member of the LGBTQ community for 35 years. and has recently found the courage to come out as a transgender person. Andy, it is a pleasure to welcome you to Disability Rap. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And I just want to note that last Wednesday, March 31st, was International Transgender Day of Visibility, so it's very timely to have you on the show to talk about your life as a person with a disability who is also transgender. I wanted to start today's show with just um, talking a little bit about, you know, we want to get to know Andy. We want to know, you know, uh, your background, your history, and um, how you got involved in disability rights and justice issues. I was born in 1964 in um, Detroit, Michigan, in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan, um, to a father who um, is a Holocaust survivor. He was born in Ukraine. 
Um, his uh, parents were murdered in the Holocaust and, um, and he uh, came to the United States uh, after World War II um, and to a mother um, who also had osteogenesis imperfecta, um, the same disability that, that I have. So as Carl mentioned, osteogenesis imperfecta or OI is also commonly known as brittle bone disorder. Um, it is a rare disability with uh, many types. They're, they've uh, classified OI uh, currently with uh, eight different types. When I was growing up, they had only classified it in two types. Uh, I have a very rare type, type five, um, which is so a very small population of even folks who have OI. Um, so basically my bones break easily. Um, there, are other, there are other related um, aspects to OI such as uh, short stature and it's a, it's a collagen um, impacted disability. So, that, so you know, some other, um, other um, uh, aspects of OI. Um, I also had a, a sister um, who had OI as well, and an older brother who uh, does not have disabilities. Um, so I, um, you know, I grew up in a family with disabilities and, and had a sense of, of pride about my disability. Also had, you know, some some sense of isolation because um, OI is very rare, and my type of OI is rare, and I really didn't know anyone other than my mother and my sister who had OI as I was as I was growing up. Because of my disability, I spent many years during my childhood in hospitals, uh, at home. Um, I spent um, almost two years during my adolescence um, having broken many bones um, and because of the healing process needing to be in bed and at home. Um, I also, you know, none, none of us um, are just our disability. We're um, whole people with, with lots of aspects to us and lots of um, lots of aspects to who we are. I also, um, as Carl mentioned, I'm transgender. I, um, from, from, for as long as I can remember, I um, knew that I was female. Um, I, um, at the age of seven, I told my parents that, um, and I, I, I was born um, biologically male. Um, that did not go over well. And so while I had, um, you know, strong um, identification as a person with a disability through my family, I did not um, have the same uh, sense of pride and um, acceptance as, as a transgender um, child. Um, so I went through, I went through um, life in, um, in my, um, my hometown. I um, you know, I benefited from supports and services through, um, through the school system. Um, when I was 16, I really wanted to work. My, um, my peers were working. Um, and, you know, I was 16 in 1980. We didn't really talk about reasonable accommodations in the workplace. Um, and um, places where teenagers worked, like grocery stores, um, 
retail um, were, were not an option for me because of my disability and, um, you know, and because we didn't really, uh, you know, we didn't even think about accommodations um, in those days. And so I, um, I learned of a program, it wasn't the vocational rehabilitation program, but it was a federal program that offered paid work experiences for people with disabilities and people from low income backgrounds. And I applied and I got a position um, doing clerical work at our local parks and recreation department. And that was a really transformative experience for me. It, um, it gave me a sense of self-esteem, knowing that I could do something that was um, worthwhile, that was appreciated, that I could earn money from um, to buy to buy my own clothes and you know things that I that I wanted, and that was a that was a really critical experience for me. Um, I you know despite having my my disability and a passion for equality, civil rights, um, you know, be, because of who I am and the family that I grew up in. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I when I was in high school and even in college. So I, uh, my father was a high school teacher and the two things I knew I didn't want to do, and this was in high school, were to be a teacher and to be a lawyer. And so, <laughs> Um, and part of it was um, just kind of being um, a shy person, you know, a, a little bit ashamed of who I was, um, not wanting to be, um, have the shot, uh, the spotlight um, shined on me. And so, um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I went to, I went to college. I did well in college. I majored in French and political science. Um, and so, you know, what are you going to do with those degrees? So I went to law school and I, and I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I thought I was going to pursue a career in international law um, because, because I had interest in studying languages and um, in politics. And, um, and then it, it, as luck would have it, after graduating from law school, the first job I got was at a civil rights law firm representing um, employees in employment discrimination cases um, and, and kind of, you know, circuitously um, realized that my passion really was um, for civil rights and so um, for all people. Um, and, and so that was in 19, 1990. Um, and I practiced uh, practiced civil rights law in Michigan, where I'm from, until 2002, um, when my uh, my partner at the time and our son, who who we adopted as a baby, um, moved to um, Phoenix, and uh, I started my career as a disability rights lawyer, um, exclusively practicing disability rights, um, and uh, kind of have have done done so since 2002. I want to talk about Andy, I want to talk about identity a bit. You have so many 
You have so many identities. Yes, like we all just like we all do. And you live in the middle of all of your identities. Some of which are marginalized by society. You talk a bit You talked about being hospitalized as a child and isolated. You talk a bit coming out. You talked about coming out as transgender as a child. And not being received by your parents. So can you talk more about that intersection of marginalized identities? And what advice you have for young people today? Absolutely, Carl. Great question. After those really painful, humiliating experiences as a child, um, I buried that aspect of my personality and um, never talked about them again and, um, and lived my life as male until um, just recently, just uh, three years ago. And um, and and so I've actually come out twice. So when I was 19, um, I came out as a gay male, and that was incredibly painful um, and difficult. Um, and, and at that time, I told my my parents first, um, and they and they accepted me at that at that time, um, which is really really interesting how within communities all communities, disability community, race, ethnicity, LGBTQ, there's there's this priority of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, right? Even within disabilities, there are more disabilities, there's some disabilities that are more stigmatized than others. Um, and, and same thing in the LGBTQ community. So, um, so I could talk for hours about that aspect and kind of the changes that I've seen. You know, I can't, 19, I, I was 19 in 1983. And so um, before, uh, you know, legalization of same-sex marriage, before any protections in employment, housing, et cetera. Um, but, but that's not your question. Your question is about marginalized communities and intersectionality and um but but i but i think there's a tie-in so um 
so that some of the marginalization comes from society in general. Some comes from, you know, painfully from our own families and our in our own environment. And so, um, you know, as I mentioned, my my mother and my sister had the same disability that I have, and so I did grow up with a sense of support and pride around my disability. Although, you know, honestly, um, some shame as well. Um, some shame of, you know, of what my body looked like, what I was unable um, to do, um, you know, misunderstandings from, from people who, um, you know, not a common disability, you know, and um, people um, not understanding um, aspects of, of my disability. Um, and, and, I, and I think the commonality, again, with the intersection, it really relates to this dichotomy of shame and pride. And I, I view pride as the opposite of shame. And so, um, and so really coming, coming to terms with, you know, all the aspects of my um, personality and, and who I am, uh, I, I would say, you know, um, much easier for me to, um, to um, be at peace with my disability and have a sense of pride at an earlier age. And um, although that, that journey, I think, is lifelong, right? There, there are always aspects of that that surface and that, um, that you have to um, acknowledge and try to, try to deal with. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, coming out as a, as a gay male at 19 was another uh, piece of that, uh, you know, a feeling of intense shame um, ultimately turning into pride and, you know, giving me this sense of drive and fight to know that the best way to advance civil rights for any of us is to be who we are and to be vocal and to be, um, to be present. Um, but, but then, you know, carrying this, this um, uh, shame of my gender identity for my whole life and um, not, not telling anyone about it until, um, again, until I was 54 years old and, um, and bearing that, you know, that intense um, shame. And, and that's, that's my, you know, kind of, that's my current journey to where I've, you know, come out completely and been, being, you know, very difficult, but I, um, I, I feel that I have an obligation uh, to be out and and um, show that there there are transgender people in the world. There are transgender people with disabilities in the world. We're and we can be leaders, and um, that's so powerful to to those of us who were children and and those those of us who are children to see um, such power you know powerful. Um, role models. And so I, I view it as an obligation um, to be open about, about who I am, both with my disability, my gender identity, um, the fact that I am a you know, child of a Holocaust survivor. I'm also the proud parent of a, a young 21-year-old 
um, black man. Um, and so, um, so all of those aspects are, are part of who I am. Well, thank you for sharing that, Andy. What, what was the final, you know, point where you did decide to come out as transgender? I mean, that was just a few, three years ago, you said. That must have been a major point in your life, right? Of of, of deciding to to um, come out while you were working at Department of Rehabilitation. I want to say you had already made that transition. Yeah, no, great question. And again, something I struggled with my whole life. I, um, you know, my my um, now my ex husband and I um, we adopted our our son as a baby. You know, we brought him home from the hospital the day after he was born in 1999. Um, through, throughout my adult life, you know, these issues have bubbled up and I thought, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm with my, uh, my partner, you know, I, we, we got together when we were in our twenties and I didn't want to lose him. So I wasn't going to, um, to be open about that. I, we adopted our son and I didn't want to hurt my son. So I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, deal deal with that and and hurt him um in 2017 i changed jobs i left disability rights california um i went to work at a uh, legal services program in los angeles in 2017 um and my uh my ex-husband and my son were still in sacramento my son was a senior in high school and the plan was that we were going to move after he graduated from high school. And so I was I was living in Los Angeles in a studio apartment and commuting to Sacramento on the weekends. You know, I was in my mid 50s. I I had time alone to really, you know, acknowledge who I am and realize how unhappy I was and how um, how sad it would have been for me to die without ever um being my authentic self and and um you know and and living with this you know never having shared this secret and i you know my son was 18 graduating high school i thought he'd be fine you know things have changed in society he um he went to a progressive high school had you know transgender friends um grew up with you know, two, two same-sex parents, I figured he'd be fine. Um, you know, my marriage was ending and um, for a variety of reasons. And I, I just decided it's, it's my time, I'm going to do it. And so I made the decision. I, um, I wasn't planning to leave Los Angeles, but I, um, I had the opportunity to come to the Department of Rehabilitation. And, um, and I, and I've known the department for, over a decade and um, worked closely with the department, advocated against the department. Um, new, new Tony Sauer, I sat on, on the State Rehabilitation Council, which is an advisory board at the department when Tony was um, director and I wanted to work here. And so I accepted the position, came back here in June of 2018. And I already knew that I was going to transition, but I hadn't started yet. Um, in August of 2018 is when I I formally started my my medical process of transitioning. Um, so so that's how I got to that point. Um, you know, e even though Department of Rehabilitation 
in my view, is a is a State Department that um, that uh, works on civil rights issues, and I knew people here, and I knew, um, you know, they accepted me as a gay man, and and I and I and I suspected um, I'd be okay. I was terrified uh, to come out, and um, and so I started with uh, my boss at the time, Kelly Hargreaves, who was the chief deputy director, and she was incredibly supportive. Um, she helped me strategize to tell Joe, who was also our director, who was also incredibly supportive, and then our team. And um, you know, it was over a period of months that I ultimately, you know, told everyone, and um, and also began, you know, changing outwardly. Um, so so it was kind of obvious at some point. So um, so that's how I got to to where I am today. Well, thank you for sharing that because that was part of my question was what meaningful support did you and your family receive during that transition, right? Both formal and informal. Can you speak to that? Um, the support that you've, and that other people might seek when going through a similar transition. Yeah, I, I really felt like it was a path that I paved on my own. I, 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 I had one friend from high school um, who uh, was born biologically female and transitioned to male um, in his mid thirties. And, um, and I have a young teenage cousin who's um, come out as transgender. That's it. Those are the people I, I knew even after you know, living decades in the LGBTQ community. And I, I, I didn't know any, um, any person who transitioned um, as at, at the age I was or after having an established career. Um, and so really paved, paved the path. I think, you know, at, in the workplace, you know, I, I'm very, um, I think strategically it's part of my legal training and um, and I'm a planner and, uh, um, and, and I'm cautious. And so it was for me just very, being very strategic about telling the director at first and getting their support. I'm telling my colleagues on the executive team and telling the support staff, I, um, you know, and, and those kinds of things. Um, uh, on a personal level, I, you know, my, my ex-husband, who's my best friend, we live next door to each other. Um, was incredibly supportive, sad that I um, waited until my mid-50s to tell him. Um, and um, and he's he's been incredibly helpful and supportive. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I ripped the Band-Aid off um, in January of 2019 when I just, I decided I'm, you know, here I am, I'm going to, you know, do it for everybody. And what, what do we do these days? I, I came out on Facebook um, and, um, and, um, and people were incredibly supportive, you know, people from my childhood family. Um, and um, and, I, and I, I, for the most part, um, received tremendous support. I think, I think we've evolved as a society. To me, it's, it's kind of where we were 30 years ago in the lesbian and gay community. Um, and, and so now it's much more acceptable for people to be lesbian and gay. 
I think we're at the we're in the infancy of transgender people coming out. Um, and so I have a lot of, you know, for, for me, there are a lot of similarities in that process, but um, no easy formula um, other, other than, you know, doing what feels right, um, starting with people who, who I trust um, and then developing, you know, a sense of, um, a sense of pride and a sense of, quite frankly, sense of anger that I have to feel this way and that I, and that I shouldn't. And I, I, I'm as legitimate a human being as anyone else and um, kind of drawing on my disability, my, you know, all, all of my experiences. You've been listening to our conversation with Andy Mudrick, the Chief Deputy Director of the California Department of Rehabilitation. We recorded this interview on March 26th, one day after the California State Senate unanimously confirmed her to the Chief Deputy Director position. To hear an extended version of the interview where Andy talks about the Department of Rehabilitation's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, go to freed.org slash disability wrap. This show is produced and edited by Carl Sigmund. Special thanks to Sam Gertis for her support. To listen to the show again, go to freed.org slash disability wrap or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anna Acton with Carl Sigmund for another edition of Disability Wrap.